important to remember that Mary was very young because we once were too. Mary, at this moment in her life, was filled with an unexpected sense of amazement, inspiration, imagination, able to envision a future that was much better than the world in which she lived. A world of joy and excitement and mystery. Mary, in her young years, was filled with wonder. And there was a time when we were too. But we know what happened. As Mary progressed through her older years, she was filled with a lifetime of the real world. She would experience the tragic death of her nephew, John the Baptist, from a cold, brutal execution of Herod, by Herod. She would watch as her beloved son would become the target of public scrutiny and controversy in the hands of the religious officials. And she would sit at the foot of that very cross, which would take her son's life. By the end of it, she would live a very full world, very full life. But it's important to remember that at least at the beginning, she had a wide-eyed curiosity about the world. She was filled with wonder. So the question for us today is the degree to which you and I have lost that same sense of wonder in our lives. Is it possible that you and I have been around the block enough to where that innocent, imaginative, earlier self has now been replaced with a jaded, skeptical, doubting, even pessimistic kind of outlook on life? And if that's the case, is there anything that could help us recapture those wondrous things and see the world in a new way. Before the environmental author Rachel Carson wrote her landmark book, Silent Spring, she wrote another book that was widely unheralded when it came out. It's a book called The Sense of Wonder. I want to read a short section of that book to you. Listen for how Rachel Carson describes that kind of childlike wonder that all of us have in our early days. And then listen for her diagnosis of what happens as we grow older. But then listen to the end of this short excerpt for her surprising description. Rachel Carson writes, A child world is fresh and new and beautiful full wonder and excitement. It is our misfortune that for most of us, that clear-eyed vision, that true instinct for what is beautiful and awe-inspiring is dimmed and even lost before we reach child adulthood. If I had influence with the good fairy who was supposed to preside over the christening of all children. I should ask that her gift to each child in the world would be a sense of wonder so indestructible that it would last throughout life. 
an unfailing antidote against the boredom and disenchantments of later years. Sterile preoccupation with things that are artificial, the, the alienation from the sources of our strength. And then she concludes with these words. If a child is to keep alive his unborn sense of wonder without any such gift fairies, he needs the companionship of at least one adult who can share it, rediscovering within him the joy, excitement, and mystery of the world we live in. I like Rachel Carson's description quite a bit. I think most of us can identify with it. That sense of childlike wonder that we were born with, as well as that slow dimming of that wonder as we enter into the realities of adulthood. But I'm particularly intrigued by Rachel Carson's prescription as to what we might do to recapture that sense of wonder. Basically what she is saying, that for any of us today, who have been jaded by life, to recapture that sense of wonder, we need to hang out with old people. That's what she said. With at least one adult, one person who is older than us, who has been around the block, from whom we can receive a sense of wide-eyed wisdom and optimism and experience that can open up our eyes. And I think that is why after Mary received this great news from God, the first thing she did was she went to Elizabeth, her older relative, the one whose experience and wisdom could guide Mary as to how to interpret this amazing news from the angel. It's possible that because Mary went to an elder, to an older generation, she was more prepared and more aware of God's amazing work in her life. Just think about it, it's exactly what happens all throughout the Bible, where young Samuel learns to hear God's voice because of the presence of the elder, Eli. Timothy, in the New Testament, learns ministry and learns the work of the church because of the teachings of his elder, Paul. And it's here in the book of Luke. But Mary goes to Elizabeth and finds in her that one adult who, according to Rachel Carson, could kindle within her that sense of, quote, joy, excitement, and mystery. When I was about five years old, I went to a school that was just down the street from my house. And so I would walk home after school every day, just a short walk, about five minutes. But every afternoon before I would get home, I would make a quick stop at the home across the street from ours, a house owned by an elderly gentleman named Harold Bird, Mr. Bird, we call him. Harold Bird had recently lost his wife, had grown kids who were all out of the house, was still caring for his elderly mother in the nursing home. Basically just him, Mr. Bird, in that empty house. 
Over time, he became a dear family friend to my parents and to me. We, we liked Mr. Bird, Bird very much. And he liked us. And every day when I would walk by, he would time it so perfectly for he would be waiting outside his home and often sitting on his patio, just setting up two lawn chairs. One for him, one for me. I was just five years old at the time, very shy, very reserved, not very good at meeting strangers or making friends very easily. A far cry from the utterly charming devil that I am. <laughs> but before my brothers were born, Mr. Bird was really the very first friend I ever had. And I learned to rely on his friendship every afternoon. There he would be in front of his house in his two lawn chairs. He'd be sitting in one, and he'd call out to me, Hey, LeBray, come on over. So I'd sit in that other lawn chair, and then we would talk. Sometimes those lawn chairs would be set up in the middle of the yard instead of the patio. And then he would go throughout his front lawn and pick up two big sticks that he could cry, and he'd hand me one stick and he'd take the other one and we'd sit in that lawn chair and then he'd say, okay, McGray, let's go fishing. He'd cast those giant sticks and see what we could catch. He'd ask me, McGray, is anything biting away? I'd say, oh yeah, big fish, and I'd reel it in and I'd describe the biggest fish I possibly could. And he'd say, oh, that's a great fish, bring it in. And then he'd take a look at it, and then he'd say, oh, wait, wait, I've got a bigger one than you. And we would pass the time catching these imaginary fish in front of some eccentric old man's house. <laughs> Sometimes he'd set those lawn chairs up in the driveway instead. And he'd say, McGray, come on over. We're going to go racing. And we'd sit there in the lawn chairs and buckle up, and we'd take those steering wheels and we pretend to fire up our engines and take one left turn after another. But most of the time, Mr. Bird would just ask me how the day was, and I'd tell him. And then he'd tell me stories about his wife, about his children, about his parents, about his mother. I realize now that those were golden days for a young five-year-old in Because it was in those days that an elderly man took time out of his day to listen to me, to hear what was on my heart. And then he would tell me stories. And then he would create scenarios that would unlock my imagination and spark my curiosity and fill my afternoons with wonder. And I look back on those days now, and and realize that it was his storytelling, his capacity to unlock imagination, and his ability to listen. For he became really the first pastoral presence in my life. And little did I know back then that he was actually planting the seeds for the very same skills that would form me in the profession that I have today. Mary went to visit Elizabeth. It was in that encounter 
and there's a heart that opens. So I wonder, for any of us who are in the sanctuary today, jaded by life, beset by skepticism and doubt, even anger and bitterness in our lives, if one of the ways that God might be calling us would be to follow Rachel Carson's example and the prescription of Mary, and go learn from the elder generation, to hang out with them, and listen for their wisdom. And I realize that for some of us in the sanctuary today, it may be hard to find people who are older than you. <laughs> I'm not going to ask for a show. <laughs> but I suggest to you that all of us still have the wisdom of our elders to spend time with. We all still have the enduring legacy and life lessons of the people who have gone before us. And whatever stage of life we might find ourselves in today, it would do us all well to think about, to experience, and to interact with all the wonderful, rich lessons that our elders have taught us. It may be that for some of us, that may be the only sermon you need to hear. To hang out with your elders and have your wonder unleashed. But you know what? That's not all. There's something else in this story. What we hear is that the moment that Mary stepped into Elizabeth's house, something happened to Elizabeth. The baby jumped in her womb. There was literally this visceral, physical reaction within Elizabeth that filled her with this amazing sense of wonder and joy and excitement. So is it possible that as much as Elizabeth may have ministered to Mary, it's also possible that Mary was there to minister to Elizabeth. That it was this older woman, this elder generation, that needed to experience the vitality and the freshness and the innocence and the curiosity of someone who was younger than her. Maybe there's a prescription for us there, too. The American author Dan Millman tells a story about a woman named Sachi. When Sachi was just four years old, she had parents who gave birth to a baby boy, Sachi's baby brother. And shortly after Sachi's brother was born, Sachi began to beg and plead of her parents to allow her to have some private time alone with her infant baby brother. The parents responded, as you might suspect, with great skepticism. They weren't quite sure whether or not Sachi was jealous at all or not of her baby brother, and certainly weren't comfortable with the possibility that some accidental thing might happen if they left a four-year-old alone in a room with an infant. But over time, Sachi continued to beg and plead, and her parents realized that there was no shred of envy or jealousy within Sachi. So eventually, her parents agreed to allow Sachi and her baby brother to be alone 
for a few short moments in the room together. At that moment, Sachi went into her brother's room and closed the door behind her, not all the way, but just enough, to where there was still a, a creak of an opening in the door, just enough for her parents on the other side of that door to peer through and into the room to monitor what was happening and to hear what would happen next. Sachi quietly walked across the room over to the presence of her baby brother and then said, Baby, tell me what God is like. I'm starting to forget. Sometimes we're like Mary. We need the presence of our elders to give us a sense of courage and wisdom and optimism. But most of the time, most of the time you and I are like Elizabeth, who's been around the block a little bit. You and I have lived life and experienced the fullness of what it brings, all of the trauma, the difficulty and the suffering. And it's enough to wear on top of our hearts all of that negativity and pessimism and make us doubt the possibility of anything transformative in the world. And if that's the case, then we all need a Mary. We need the presence of a younger generation to interact with them to help them remind us of who God is, because it's way too easy to forget. So could it be with this advent, there may be an equal calling for all of us to connect more deeply with those who are younger than us, so that we can regain a sense of a wondrous God that is too easy to forget. But you know, there's one more thing. More than just Elizabeth ministering to Mary and Mary ministering to Elizabeth, we're reminded in this story that Susan just read that before that visit between these two, something miraculous happened. While Mary was alone in her house, out of the blue, out of nowhere, came a surprising visit by this angel which was a reminder to Mary that God was intervening into her life, and her life would never be the same. Now, I'd be hard-pressed to imagine that those kinds of angelic visits from God happen with that same kind of vividness and boldness in our lives every day. But I'd be willing to bet that in every single moment, God is breaking through trying to get our attention, to alert us to the possibility of something wondrous in our lives, each and every moment, even through the simplest and most subtle ways, God is not quit on trying to get our attention and inspire us with something that will fill us with wonder again. And the question becomes, will our eyes be open to it? If this God is constantly trying to fill our lives with the wonder of grace, will he notice it?
For it's possible that it comes to us in the most subtle and surprising ways. In 1933, in a small town called Murphy in North Carolina, there arrived a visiting family, a band of preachers all related to each other, called the Morgans. It made a living traveling from town to town to set up camp meeting revivals to preach God's word and call the laws. And they had made a living of doing this, but still, the Morgan family was utterly destitute, quite poor. When they arrived in Murphy, they set up camp right in the middle of the town, right in the town square. Which means they not only set up the place for them to do their evening revival services, that is literally where they stayed and where they lived all throughout those days. They cooked in the middle of the town square. They did their laundry out in the public for everyone to see. They hung out their laundry out there for everyone to witness. After a few days of this, the townsfolk in Murphy started to complain and started to say they were becoming a public nuisance and eventually gave the Morgan family just one more night to be there before they'd be run out of town. The Morgans, however, were utterly in need of money. They weren't sure how they were going to scrap together enough money to make it to the next town. In the midst of that impoverishment, that a visitor arrived to Murphy, a man named John Jacob Niles, a composer, songwriter, a man who was looking for inspiration, a person who was open to the possibilities of wonder and beauty and artistry. He had his eyes open as he was walking through the town square of Murphy, North Carolina. It was there that he saw the Morgan family. And then he noticed a young girl, not named Mary, a girl named Annie Morgan. And listened as that Annie was singing a song, not the Magnificat, but a hauntingly beautiful tune, a melody that was so rapturous, so compelling, that it caught Mr. Niles' attention. And he found himself walking straight over to Annie. Annie, he said, please sing me that tune again. So she did. She was only able to remember just about three phrases of that haunting tune. Mr. Niles then said, Young girl, I'll, I'll pay you 25 cents if you sing it to me again so I can try to write down the notes. So she did. Mr. Niles needed another time. He said, please sing it again. I'll pay you another 25 cents. And they went back and forth just like this, and singing the tune a total of eight times before Mr. Niles said, thank you. I've got it. And from there, sense of wonder took over from the most surprising source. Because from that point when Mr. Niles began to put that tune together with some beautiful lyrics, some words about a Jesus who came down at Christmas, 
to hang out with the poor and the poor in spirit, to give anyone who was destitute by the struggles of life a new sense of wonder as they wandered through life. It was at that moment Mr. Niles composed one of the great Christmas folk songs ever written. A song that the choir will offer as part of our offertory this morning. A song that captures that invitation for any of us who are wandering through life to be open to the possibility that God is speaking to you a word of grace in the most subtle and surprising Way. I wonder as I wander under the sky how Jesus the Savior did come forth to die for poor ordinary people like you and my I wonder as I wander out under the sky. These are stressful times, brothers and sisters. I get it. I'm right there with you. I know how overwhelmed and oppressive this time of year can be with all of the deadlines and all the pressures and all the things on our plates and all of the all the preparations we have to make and all the financial pressures and the, the counting of pennies and counting dollars and counting calories and crossing items off our gift gift lists and preparing those parties. But if we're not careful, we just might reduce this sacred season into nothing more than just a passing fantasy and a passing table. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Don't, don't let Christmas succumb to the pressures and deadlines and all of the grown-up responsibilities that you and I have. As you wander through Advent, be filled with wonder. Look at Christmas, both through the wide-eyed wisdom of your elders, as well as the vital, passionate innocence of our younger generation. And dare to extend your antenna heavenward, so that you can be attentive to the daily glimpses of God's grace, God's grace that is so graciously given to us every single day. So that just like Mary, you might treasure all of these things and ponder them in your heart. Let's pray. Gracious and eternal God, we thank you for filling us with that sense of wonder that comes from your grace. Remind us of your constant presence with us. Take the 
coverings off our eyes and unstop our ears. Surround us with people both older and younger to remind us of just how beautiful life can be. Because of the arrival of your son, Jesus, who comes to bring us life. I pray for anybody in this sanctuary this morning who is really struggling with life and looking to recapture a sense of grace. We all of us seek it as we find it in you, the person of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.